part of the church here, have been for a little while, and it's a privilege to be able to come and speak to you this morning. And we're continuing with working our way through the book of Philippians. We have, oh, right, we have a PowerPoint, and it's even here, look. Actually, just a thought, just drinking water. Have we got water out the back for those who need it? Because it's very hot in here, and if anybody... Right, so if you do need to get up and get a glass of water while I'm talking, you know, if you need someone to keep you awake, to do some activity or something, to that would be fine. Do that. Go and get a glass of water. Please refresh yourselves. Okay. Have any of you ever felt guilty for not reading your Bible? Yeah. Have any of you ever felt guilty that you're not praying enough? Yeah. Have I made you feel guilty about not reading your Bible? I'm not praying. Because when I talked about Amos a while back, and I'm not bringing this because someone's complained about it, um, well, the feedback's always good. Preachers do like feedback. Constructive criticism, all the rest of it, it's always great. Uh, but a few weeks back, I talked about uh, Amos, and I read, asked the questions then, how often should you read the Bible? How often should you pray? And can you remember the answers? This is a test, okay? This is you need to, did you remember what was talked about a few weeks back, or was it months back? What was the answer? How often should you read the Bible? Sorry? As often as possible. I used a verse. Give you a clue. Psalm 1. Uh, I've got verse 2 here, but not verse 1. But anyway, but, but it's talking about the man uh, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. Now, that's obviously Old Testament. It was, so the law was, was much more limited. There wasn't the Bible. But that's a good principle, I think, meditating on the word day and night. And it's also about prayer. How often should you pray? Yeah, and the verse that backs that up is 1 Thessalonians 5, verses, uh, well, verse 17 particularly. Verse 17 is just pray continually. Pray continually. So meditate on the Lord day and night. Pray continually. Is it any surprise that we feel guilty that we don't do those things? But of course, we're not saved by works. We are saved by grace. And we've been singing about that this morning. It's not about what we do other than putting our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to expand upon that a little bit this morning, just from this section from Philippians that we're looking at. Philippians 3, uh, verses 1 to 11. And I, I want to thank whoever divvied up Philippians and gave it out to us because uh, I preached on Philippians 2, 1 to 11 uh, last month. Uh, and that was fantastic verses. And these are fantastic verses. I think you've given me the best bits, whoever divvied it up. So thank you very much for that. And, and I hope I'm going to do them justice. And if you haven't read the Bible this morning and you're feeling a bit guilty, the good news is we're going to read a bit now. So let's uh, check the clicker. Right. So we're going to read through Philippians 2. Okay. This is actually Philippians 3. I forgot to change the heading on the PowerPoint. Apologies there. 
slip up by me. It's actually two, it's the first, it's the same verses, you see, verses 1 to 11, Philippians 2, I did last time, this time. So these verses are from Philippians 3, but actually it says Philippians 2. And I was going to read these to you, but I thought, you know what? Let's read them together. Let's do that. So there's three slides. So let's go through these and read all of these together. Philippians 3, verses 1 to 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone thinks they have confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Fantastic verses. Well, so a mix of things in there. So let's just spend a little while just talking those through. <coughs> So this version, this is the uh, the NIV, this is the new NIV, the 2011 NIV translation. It starts with further, but a lot of other versions they start with finally. This is Paul sort of thinking about wrapping up his letter to the Philippians. And as I said before, Philippians is a bit of a different letter from the other letters that we have in the New Testament that Paul wrote. This is very much a letter of friendship. It follows a particular style of the time, which is about friendship, and it's much less about instructing people. Yes, there are some points of instruction in there, but this is more a letter to friends. <clears throat> and remember, Paul went to Philippi. It's recorded in the book of Acts, Acts 16. Anybody remember any of the characters that Paul met in Philippi when he went? The jailer? Lydia, dealer of purple cloth. Yeah. So there's a, the number of characters that we know of from the New Testament who 
Paul, and they, these characters may well have been part of the church that Paul was writing to. Probably this is about 10, 15 years later. This is very much a letter of friendship. And there's a lot in here about Paul. Paul's putting a lot of himself into this letter. And it's got some interesting phrases in it. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write this to you. This is good stuff. You know, I want to safeguard you. I want to protect you. Watch out for those dogs. Oh, okay. What's that all about? Where's this coming from? It's worth being aware um, that the word dog in, in our language can be used quite derogatorily. Is that a word? Derogate? Anyway. Back then in New Testament times, the keeping of dogs as pets was much less common, and dogs were much more common in terms of stray dogs on the streets and things like that. So the word dog was much more offensive than it would be now. So, But he's been quite rude here when he's talking about those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. And what he's talking about here is those people who would say, fine, you're a Christian, and now you're a Christian, these are the rules you should follow. Now, in those times, a lot of the rules were based upon the Jewish law. So circumcision was obviously part of that process. And obeying the, some, some of, the other, of the other rules and the food laws and things like that. Paul was coming down really heavily. I mean, he doesn't mince his words here. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers. Now, there's no sense in the rest of the letter that this was causing an actual problem for the, the church in Philippi at the time, but it certainly was a church, a problem for the church generally at that time. This is one of the, the teachings the church had to deal with. You know, this is not about works. It is about faith and grace. It's about trusting in the, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and we can add nothing to that. But how easily do we also get trapped into that works thing? You know, I, like I said at the start about feeling guilty about reading your Bible. It's not about works. Yes, reading your Bible is good, but it's not about works. You're not going to earn any more favor with God. And that's what he's talking about here. These people who are coming to the church and saying, yeah, this is the sort of stuff you should be doing. Being a, being a Christian, putting faith in the Lord Jesus is not enough. You need to follow these rules to achieve salvation. And he spells it out. For it's we, that is we, he's talking to the church. It's we, the church, the Christians. We are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. But having just said that, we put no confidence in the flesh. But you know what? If these people who say works are really important and works, you need to do works. If there's anyone out there who says that, this is Paul talking to Philippians then I can beat them. I can trump them. And he says, though I myself have confidence, reasons for such confidence. And then he talks about his identity as a Jew. If someone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes through and lists his credentials. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews, regard to the law of Pharisee. And some of these are works yeah, I'm, I'm a, of the law, Pharisee, so studying. As for zeal, he persecuted the church. As for righteousness, he was faultless. Now, he didn't claim to be perfect. He's not claiming to ever that he was perfect here, but he was saying, I obeyed the law better than anybody else. And some of those things are things that he did, like obeying the law and becoming a Pharisee, but some of those things are just part of his background part of his 
life. He didn't choose to be born a Jew. He didn't choose to be born in the tribe of Benjamin. That's just part of his heritage. But that is part of his identity. And then he goes on to say, whatever were gains to me, or other versions say profits, whatever were profit to me, I now consider loss. All of that stuff, all the stuff that I've done, all the stuff that's in my heritage, all the stuff that's in my identity, I count as loss. Let's talk a bit about identity. There was a, a Matt Shepherd in, in a previous church. Um, he was retired. And the first few times I met him, he was new to the church. And the first few times I met him, he kept bringing up in conversation quite early on that he used to be a senior director of a big company. Okay. Right. And I was talking with one of the elders about this new guy coming in. And I, and I said, he does seem to keep telling me that he was a senior director in a big company. And, and the, the elder said to me, yes, because that is part of his identity. That's part of what makes him, he, he feels that's part of who he is. And that's the first time I really thought about, yes, what is it that makes our identity? What makes your identity? Some of us identify with a nationality. Well, most of us probably identify with a nationality, how well we identify. We, we recently had an opportunity to celebrate our nationality whatever it was, in the World Cup. We may find identity in our race, in our culture, in our interests. You know, I'm interested in history, so I connect with other people who are interested in history. What are the significant features of your identity? Don't you hate it when the preacher says, it's time for you to talk amongst yourselves and, and just talk about the point that I'm raising. Um, because I don't know about you, but I often come along on a Sunday and I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm happy to listen to the preach and doze off slightly and think about lunch. And all this. The last thing I want to be done is to be made to think. I'll be honest, sometimes that's the way it is. Less so. Actually, that's why I take notes now. I probably never read my notes after, after a preach, unless someone said something controversial. But it's a way of helping me to stay focused. So I make notes to help stay focused. Um, so, so yeah, so I'm going to ask you now, take a couple of minutes and with your neighbor, if you're happy to do this, just think about the things that, what is it, when I think about who I am, when I describe myself to somebody else, what are the key things? Is it my role as a parent? Is it my role in society? Is it my job? Is it, what, what is, where, where am I finding my identity? Go on then, over to you for a couple of minutes. And I, if you wanted to have... Okay, I know you could go on like that all morning, and thank you very much for, uh, for participating in that conversation. So one or two of you willing to share what it is that you would say, well, this is part of my, this is part of my identity. This is part of who I am. Any, any, anyone willing to, to sort of pipe up? There's no rights and wrongs in this, by the way. You're not going to get told off. So often, you're more often asked what it is that you do. So people often ask about what your job is. Yes, absolutely. So since coming here, you found your identities and your relationship with Christ. Yeah, yeah. And that's what Paul talks about here, isn't it? Paul talks about all the elements of his Jewishness, being circumcised, being part of ben, tribe of Benjamin, being a Pharisee, but for whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss. And he then goes on in verse 8. I consider them 
garbage. Now, other versions say rubbish. I don't want to dwell on this. But the illustration that Paul is using here is pretty crude. When he talks about rubbish, and other translations I've seen it translated street rubbish, and it's street rubbish left by animals. Okay, I'm not going to go any further than that, but it's pretty disgusting. And that's what Paul is saying. All of this stuff, all my Jewish identity, all this stuff being a Pharisee, all of that I count as that compared to knowing Christ. You know, that, that's the same extreme of example that we had in, in Philippians 2 when he talked about Jesus going to the cross. And since so the cross was a really offensive word, the cross was an offensive concept for Romans. But to go from the cross to the throne of heaven is just as far as you can go. You can go no further. You can go no lower. You can go no higher. And similarly here, you know, this, all this stuff, it's, it's just absolute smelly rubbish. I want to know Christ. That's what Paul says. That's not to say that he neglects or ignores or throws out part of his identity. It's actually, interestingly, it's in Philippi, when he goes to Philippi in chapter 16 of Acts, and he gets locked up in the jail, and then there's the earthquake, and the jailer and his family become Christians, but Paul stays behind, Paul and Silas stay in the jail. But it's in Philippi where Paul goes to the authorities and says the next day, by the way, you locked me up. Did you know that I am a Roman citizen? Now, that's not listed in the, in, in the letter there, but Paul was a Roman citizen, and the Roman citizen was quite a significant role to have. He is a status that he had in society, and you couldn't lock up Roman citizens. And we talked again, some of the previous talks about the fact that Philippi was it was very much, a, it was Rome away from Rome. It was a very, although it's hundreds of miles away from Rome, it was very Roman in its outlook. It had actually been populated by an army sort of uh, a, a generation or two before. So lots of the folks who were living in Philippi had a strong Roman heritage. It was very proud of its Roman heritage. We've locked up a citizen of Rome. And, and the, yeah, they, 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 were, they were shocked, the authorities, and they treated Paul and Silas very well after that. So Paul's not afraid to claim those parts of his identity that are relevant. He's not saying all of this stuff I will ignore and I will throw out and I will count for nothing. So similarly with our identity, whether it's you know, academic qualifications, stuff that we've done in work, all of that stuff still has a part to play. But compared to knowing Christ, it is nothing. And that is our continual challenge, isn't it? Where, where do we find our identity? And it's a really important challenge for us to find identity in Jesus and to know our identities in Jesus. And I don't know where all of you stand with regard to faith. I don't know where, what role Jesus has in your life. But my appeal to all of you is to have that relationship with Jesus, to seek that relationship with Jesus. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, says Paul in this section. That's what I challenge us all. That's why I challenge myself to want to know that more. It's very easy in the 21st century to be a spiritual person. I've met a number of people recently who you start talking about Jesus and church. Oh, yeah, I'm a spiritual person. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I believe the universe has blessed me. This is a paraphrase of a conversation I had with someone recently. It's put me here in lovely sunny Dorset, and oh, the universe has blessed you and put you in Dorset. Why would the universe do that? I don't know why the universe would do that. It's just blessed me. And I've had a couple of other conversations like that. And it was great that Marion came up this morning and shared. 
What I would encourage us all to do, and I'm encouraging myself to do this, is practice having more of these conversations. You know, there's questions. I came away from that conversation about the universe and a couple of other conversations I've had thinking, this is the question I wish I'd asked. But I only thought about it afterwards. But you know what? I'm looking for more opportunities to practice that more and more. And I would encourage all of us, you know, my prayer is that Marion doesn't come up here in the front anymore. And that's no disrespect to Marion, because my prayer is that that becomes part of our lives on a more regular basis that we're sharing and we're having opportunities to share, that God is giving these opportunities. So no, it's great, Marion, that you came up. And thank you for that. And that was spot on this morning. But let's do that. And let's practice it. We need to practice. And why do we need to practice? Well, I go to a public speaking group, and I practice public speaking, sort of this sort of thing at the front. And you may not realize, if you don't do a lot of public speaking, but actually, when you get up at the front somewhere, or when you're talking to somebody in a, in a you know, particularly a faith-sharing situation, your adrenaline tends to kick in, okay? Now, one of the things that adrenaline does is it gets your body into flight-and-fight mode, and it shuts down your higher brain functions. Okay, so the people standing at the front of you on a Sunday morning have had their higher brain functions shut down by their <laughs> adrenaline. Seriously, but it's a bit of a joke of it, but actually you know when you get into a public speaking situation, I mean, I, I can talk and have brilliant preachers all the rest of it in the car with myself. It, it, there's a great flow of logic and it's so insightful. And I come up here on a Sunday morning and I stutter and I, and I, this is why I practice. This is why I practice speaking. This is why I want, I've been challenged recently to practice speaking about faith more often to people. And just asking questions, a great question. Sorry. Great question, yeah. Have you been inside? You don't need much of a question just to open the door. Just to, you know, someone says to you, I'm not religious. No, don't try. My, my fear there is I always have to justify myself. But, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm not religious either, I believe. But actually, no. Oh, what do you mean by religious? You know, I, it, it's when someone says, the, you know, the universe has blessed me. Oh, do you not want to know the universe a bit better? And that's what Paul would have done. You, you, you said the universe has blessed you. What are you right? The universe has blessed you. And look, I can help you to get to know the universe in person. And his person is Jesus Christ. So practice, practice, practice. And encourage us all to get out there and find opportunities. And it's hard. You know, you, you're stuck in work and, and, and church life. and You're meeting the same people over and over again. Just find ways of doing it. That's my challenge to myself. And let's look at the last few verses of Philippians 3. No, not that one. So I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And this is last two verses, uh, verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, those are easy words to sort of skip over, really, because, well, there's Bible words in there like resurrection and Christ and stuff, and it sort of makes sense. But actually, if you think about it, there's some quite challenging stuff in that, to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to, get the res to, to attain the resurrection from the dead. There's a lot of stuff in there. We could spend a whole morning talking about these two verses, and I'm not going to. Don't be, don't, don't be bothered by that. Um, 
And that's a challenge to us. This thing about suffering, just briefly, what does suffering mean for us in the 21st century? Back then, obviously, suffering was fairly explicit in terms of, uh, this is suffering for the gospel, suffering as Jesus suffered. You know, Jesus was, was mocked, he was ridiculed. Jesus had these, uh, he was, uh, the people that Jesus had the harshest words for and the people who attacked him most were the religious people. It's interesting going back to Paul and Paul talking about those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh, those evildoers, very strong words. Jesus equally had very strong words for the Pharisees and for people who were very religious. And Jesus likewise was persecuted by those people. Jesus likewise was, yeah, he, he suffered a lot in terms of he didn't have a, yeah, he didn't have material possessions. He, he traveled around a lot. He gave himself to people. Um, and, so, and I thought, actually, by looking at this, I'm actually intrigued by this idea of suffering. And it's something that I'm going to take away and spend a bit more time looking at. Because how do we suffer in the 21st century? You know, we've got Netflix. We've got, you know, we've got, we've got some co-op around the corner. We've got cars. We've got, I mean, where's the suffering for us? But I think it's there, but it's more subtle. The devil is, you know, the devil is, is, is our enemy. The Bible's quite clear about that. We have an enemy. And he's learning. And he's learning to become more subtle. At the end of the day, if it's being locked up in jail that damages your faith, or sitting on the sofa in front of Netflix rather than, you know, if that, damage, if that takes you away from God, he doesn't care. So the way we experience suffering may be different. You know, choosing to do soup run on a sunny, sunny Sunday evening, a Saturday evening, when you could be on the beach, you're sacrificing some of your time for other people. Is there an element of suffering in that? It would seem so from some of the stuff that I've read from, from other commentators, but certainly that's an area that I'm intrigued to look at because we don't feel like we're suffering most often. At least I don't. And the other thing that Paul writes here um, is verse 11, and so somehow, somehow, attaining the resurrection of the dead from the dead, somehow, somehow. Somehow? What? You're not sure about this, Paul? We know from the rest of Paul's writings that Paul is absolutely sure of his faith in Christ and his position in Christ. Um, and, and just a sort of a footnote, really, to this, but the, the, the somehow there probably applies more to Paul saying, somehow I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. I don't know how God's going to do it. You know, Paul at that time could, may well have expected Jesus to come back before he died. So... So that's what the somehow there. The somehow is not Paul saying, well, it may or may not work out for me, you know. It's Paul saying, I am going to be resurrected. I am going to know Christ. How God does it, that's his business. I trust in God. And that principle applies to the rest of life, doesn't it? How God's going to do stuff, that's his business. I must trust in him. So I want to know Christ. Let's just spend a few moments reminding ourselves who this Christ is. Because we talk about Jesus all the time. We sing about Jesus. We had some great songs this morning. Thank you, particularly the second and the third. I'm used to remembering songs, but I thought the second one, beautiful, beautiful, you are beautiful. Is what sort of, I looked at my worship expert. And then the third one, they, they really connected with me this morning and with this theme, I felt. So they were great. Um, but let's remind ourselves of this Jesus. And just to prove you're awake, I've got some mini excerpts of verses here. Anyone going to tell me where this is from? One John. John 1. 
Jesus was there before creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus was there before creation. Jesus, everything was made through Jesus. This is the Jesus that Paul wants to know. Next line. Isaiah. Isaiah 61. And I picked this one because we're talking about Jesus being prophesied. They prophesied the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, for thousands of years. And this, of course, Isaiah 61, this is the, these, these are the verses that Jesus then quoted or read from in, in Luke. Um, so these have been fulfilled. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jesus. He was before time. Everything was made through him. He was prophesied. His coming as a, as a man on this earth and as the Lord was prophesied. Next one. Sorry? Wedding at Cana. These are Mary's words. I picked them because they're, just, they're applicable on so many levels. Do whatever he tells you. That's a great instruction for us today, isn't it? Do whatever he tells you. But Jesus, I also picked the wedding at Cana because Jesus came as a man. And he enjoyed the things of this world. This world was created by God. It was created through Jesus. It was created to be a good place. Yes, there was sin came and it's been defiled. But Jesus enjoyed the things of this world. He was called a drunkard and a glutton. He ate and drank. For him, meals were really important. They were great. And they still are for us today, aren't they? It's a great way to build relationship with one another and to enjoy those things. But Jesus was a man. He walked this earth as we do. He lived life. He, lived, he experienced the good things. He experienced the challenges. That's the fourth one. This in this picture of Jesus reminding us who us who he is. This came from Philippians 2. This is what I preached on last time. He humbled himself. Well, let's read it all, shall we? Actually, I didn't read the John 1 one, uh, the John 2 one, which is uh, when at Cana. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. So Philippians 2, talking about Jesus. Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is this Jesus that we want to know better. Creator of all things. Walked the way that we walk. Imperfection, which is different from us, obviously. He went to the cross and paid that price for us. God humbled himself to death, even death in that most disgusting of places, the cross. And then finally, from Revelation, Revelation um, 19. 
Then I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. Now, Revelation's a challenging book. There's lots of stuff in there that's hard to understand. There's a lot of picture language. But there's no doubt in Revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is judge and that he is ruler over all and he has all authority and his knee, you know, every knee will bow to Jesus. So this is the Jesus that Paul's talking about, the Jesus who was before time, who things were made through him, everything was made through him, who died, who lived, on our, who lived life on earth, who died for us and who is in heaven and is Lord of all things and we will all day see him in his, all his glory and we will worship him. This is the Christ that I want to know, says Paul. And this is the Christ that I, I, I want to know. And again, I can only speak for myself in this. So what does it mean? Let's just look at, as we finish, let's just look at some practicalities of this. What does this mean? I want to know Jesus. And for me, it's about life choices about the choices that we make in life, about how we choose to live our life. And there's a, there's a story that I wanted to tell, but actually I think it's better if Rachel tells it. So if Rachel wants to come up now, she's just going to tell the story about a choice in our lives. I'll take you back to 2004. I've kept a journal. It's helped me to remember some of the things that I thought and wrote at the time. So back in March 2004, I've written that in a Bible study, I was challenged last week. Is the ambition of my life to know Christ? Am I making choices which help me to fulfill this ambition? I say that I'm a disciplined person, and yet currently I spend inordinate amounts of time on the computer and fail to do much Bible study or get to bed earlier. I really need to come to terms with this. Am I making choices which help me to become the person God wants me to be? Or even who I want to be? Go on to the end of the year. Andrew, at, the, at this time, Andrew and I, uh, our four daughters were all school age. Andrew had a very well-paid job working for a software computer company. He was uh, their training manager. And our church at the time, back in Alton, was doing a huge renovation project on a building um, turning it into to the new building for the church to use and for the community. And Andrew was working away from, from, uh, from home one, one night and I went to a, to a church meeting. And at the church meeting, they said that they were going to be looking for a manager for this building to set up the businesses, to use it for the community, and um, that, that 
to to help to help the church be involved in the community. They'd also be looking to increase the eldership, and that was part of their strategy going into the new building. When Andrew came back, I didn't. I I just tried to remember everything that was said at the meeting, and I started to tell him about this job, and he looked at me and said, "That's my job." Okay. So, at this time, I said we have four children. We were living in in a in a in a nice house, and at the time, the interest rates were very high. Our housing costs were well over a thousand pounds a month. We had Andrew was being paid a huge car allowance that enabled us to buy a new people mover. How much was the church going to be able to pay Andrew to do this job? No way. There was no way in my head that we could afford for him to do this job. Andrew felt it was really the right thing. God was telling him that this, this was what he wanted him to do. So do you trust God? Or do I trust in my husband's rather nice salary? It is, it is high-powered job which was taking him traveling up to Heathrow from, from Hampshire every day. Well, I trust my husband and I trust my God. So we said, okay, we'll, we'll see. A few days later, he had a phone call from our lead elder saying, we'd like you to come to a meeting. And at that meeting, they asked him to consider being the manager for this building and also to become an elder. Okay, so how do we go about this? Car loan, big car loan. They're not going to be out. They, they knew how much Andrew earned. That, and we went away and we prayed. And Andrew, after Christmas, he, he went to his boss. There were some people being made redundant. He said, you know, basically, I'd like to be made voluntary redundant. And his boss said, I like to be in control of these things. You can't expect to be made redundant, to, to have voluntary redundancy. You know, it just doesn't work like that. Okay, we'd asked. Roll on to April. And Andrew went into work one day and his boss took him into the office and agreed to give him voluntary redundancy. The voluntary redundancy was enough to pay off the whole of the car loan and some. And then I went home and did my sums. And I worked out the exact amount of money that I thought we could afford to live on, given our housing commitments and, and the regular commitments. Um, sure enough, the, the, the church offered him the job and they offered him the exact amount of money that I had decided that we could afford to live on. It was hard to choose to trust God rather than to trust in Andrew's salary. But the amount of... We got to know God so much better by trusting him through the uncertainty of the, the situation. And it was a real blessing. And, and I could go on because actually writing things down is good because you go back 
and you see these milestones in your life about how God was faithful in that situation. And if God's been faithful before, you can trust him to be faithful again and continuing. And yes, I want to know God. And I would rather go through uncertainty and know God better than to sit on a fat salary and walk away from God's plans for our lives. Thank you, Rachel. And that's, that story was really the start of what's been an exciting faith journey for us. But have we got it right all the time? Absolutely not. Uh, and this really isn't about us. Paul, in his, the letter of Philippians, says a lot about Paul. He talks a lot about his, himself, and he pours a lot of himself into this letter. He's giving a lot to the Philippians. And, and I guess when we preach, and certainly when I'm preaching today in that story, we're giving a lot of our story. But that's all we can do is give illustrations and pictures. It's, it's how does how's God going to work out his purposes in our lives? And that's the challenge for us. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, what's God going to do in my life? And how do I, how do I give God space to move, to move more? How do I live more fully for him? How do I make that a reality? Go back to the early church. The early church gave themselves fully to Jesus and gave themselves fully to God. And, and yeah, of course, they were imperfect. But they stood out in their community. In the Acts, book of Acts, it talks about people being drawn to the church, being attracted to the community, while also struggling with the message of the gospel, but drawn to the community. Um, a, a Roman emperor, um, 300 years later, uh, Emperor um, Justin, um, who's I think the last of the pagan Roman emperors, he wrote lots of letters, and those letters have come down to us, and he was writing to lots of pagan priests around the empire, and he basically was saying, these Galileans, that's their word for Christians back then, these Galileans not only look after their own poor, they look after ours as well. They have these feasts that everyone goes to. They are making a mockery of us and our gods. The church stood out 300 years later for that sort of thing. And the church still stands out in many regards today. We're talking about the, the, the food bank and all that sort of stuff. Why we need a food bank in the 21st century, goodness knows. but. That's a whole separate issue, isn't it? So my challenge to me, my continual challenge to me, and my challenge to, to all of us, if we want to move on with Jesus, is what can we do differently? Paul, all of that stuff, all this is all my Jewish heritage. I would put my faith in Jesus. What can I do? I want to keep moving forward. One of the things that comes up over and over again, we've been to lots of leadership seminars through, uh, through foundations, read lots of leadership books and stuff like that, and books about church life, and, but also business books as well. And the one thing that comes out every single time in all of these is if you want to get different results, you need to do things differently. And that's a continual challenge for me. If I'm getting settled into my Christian life and I want to move on, I've got to do stuff differently. And God's challenged us in that. He's challenged us you know, it, recently, there's, there's, and there's changes that we're making in our, our life and some of the things that we're doing. And they're not comfortable change. You know, they're not comfortable choices always. You know, opening our home every Thursday night for people to come and have meals if they want to. I'll be honest, don't always want to do it. You know, really something we only just started doing. But actually, we believe, I believe, it's really, really important. And it is a bit of a sacrifice sometimes. But it's great. Don't be discouraged. I'm coming along, those of you who come, and anyone else who wants. Anyway, um, so yeah, but so, so that's the challenge for us as we wrap up. Where are we? Was there a final slide? 
I want to know Christ. I should have put this up earlier. I want to know Christ. That's Paul. That's what Paul is saying through this part of Philippians. I want to know Christ. And I started right at the beginning by saying, did I make you feel guilty about not reading the Bible and about not praying enough? And we had those verses um, from Thessalonians about pray continually and um, Psalm 1, meditating on his law day and night. We don't do those things. We don't pray continually. We don't read the Bible and study the Bible and share our faith because it's going to get us to heaven. But we do those things, or my prayer would be that we do those things because we do it out of a relationship with Jesus. We want to get to know Jesus better. We want to grow in faith with him, in, in him. And the way that we do those things is just immersing our life in him. And that's a challenge. And that is a continual challenge. That's the challenge that Paul is laying down for the Philippians. And I believe through the letter of the Philippians, it's part of scripture. It's God still using that. And that's still, that challenge is still equally valid for all of us today. I want to know Christ. So what does it mean for me? What does it mean for you? That's where I'll leave you with this morning. But yeah, thank you for listening. And if you want to talk about it, if anybody wants to talk about anything, get prayer for anything. I think we'd be welcome to, to pray for people. But yeah, it's, I want to know Christ.